Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Citizen Dame, the podcast where some of us go to Sundance and some of us sit at home and just watch Hitchcock movies for two weeks. Um, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. And we also have a special guest who has been on the podcast before, and we are very happy to have her back to chat about Sundance and the Sundance experience. Um, Cortland Jacoby. Hi, Cortland. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? How is everybody doing today before we get going on the, the fun stuff about films? Well, I'm finally starting to defrost, although now we're getting huge storms here in California. So, you know. <laughs> You really did leave California and go like, I'm going to go to a colder place than, than <laughs> New York. And New York was pretty fucking cold while you were at Sundance. <laughs> yeah, and luckily somehow we managed, to, like they managed to have Sundance right in between winter storms. And the weather was not, I mean, it was much colder than I'm used to, but it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't mostly. bad. Yeah. yeah, the precipitation was actually really, really nice. Like it didn't happen much. Yeah. So, yeah, wasn't bad. How are right. you, Lauren? Well, that's good. I'm good. Like I said, I've been spending the past two weeks watching Hitchcock films, basically, mm-hmm. um, which was not my original intention. I my I have decided that I am going to watch all of Hitchcock's work. Uh, and as Courtland asked before, I uh, before we started, yes, I have seen all of Hitchcock's films already. Um, most of these are multiple rewatches. Although I don't, I think that I've only seen Topaz once, so that will be exciting um but other than that yeah i love uh, this theme this whole like theme thing that you do last year it was vincent price <laughs> all of it's unintentional to be totally honest like, it's just like i am i've decided that i'm just gonna watch a bunch of hitchcock films all in a row uh yeah so i've i've like up to it. 10 i watched i watched 10 almost in succession and now i have actually watched films by other directors but um yeah, so that's what I'm up to. Totally not into Hitchcock at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I hope this is all in preparation for your book that I have been highly anticipating for like three years. Yeah, that so. was the that was the original intention. It was actually a result of me talking with um uh with Nanina, who has uh, you know been on the podcast before as well, and she was like, "Oh, I just saw The Lodger in um." like in a movie theater with like a new soundtrack just like oh i haven't seen the lodger in a really That's long so time it's such a fantastic film like I, I was like i've never i haven't seen the lodger in a really long time i really need to rewatch all of his british films and then i just started was like how about i just watch all of them uh that would be a good good film challenge for the year so yeah. that's where i'm at are um, you doing them chronologically no no oh. i'm doing them based on vibe <laughs> um, as as I, I told Karen this uh, earlier, that I there's a number of different reasons why I don't want to watch them chronologically, and one of them is there is a stretch of films starting with 
Sorry with about the birds and running through to frenzy. That is just not something I want to watch in succession. Like I love, Fair. I love Hitchcock, but it's not yeah. easy to watch some of those movies all at once, especially frenzy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got yeah. Marnie mixed in there too. Oh, Marnie, it's yeah. just, yeah. The whole succession of them. Uh, I think torn curtain is like a good little interrupter in the midst of that, but it's, these are not easy films particularly. No. God, Marnie. I, for, um, I like to forget that movie exists. Marnie, <laughs> Marnie is more disturbing in a lot of ways than Frenzy is. Uh, yeah. And that's that's saying something, I think. Yeah. Uh, if anybody has not seen these films, look them up and you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Or wait for Lauren's book and she'll talk all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the book that will definitely exist at some point. It is, does exist in outline form, but um so so today we're, pr we're pretty much going to talk about sundance and uh and i'm just gonna kind of help to guide karen and Cortland to discussing all of the fun stuff that they did at the festival and what they saw and what they liked and you know maybe what they didn't like but also we want to have fun as well so uh karen let's just start with you so what was your experience of the festival this year just generally um, you know, it's interesting. Last year was the first year they were back in person after the pandemic. And you could really feel um, just how empty it was. The buses were empty. The theaters were empty. It was just such a such a strange experience to be back this year. From the minute I pulled into town, it was like, oh, there's a lot of people back. Um, it was a lot more crowded i had no problem getting into any of the screenings i wanted to go to but i definitely waited in some kind of long lines which was good to see the buses had people on them a lot of people were you know enthusiastic talking um kind of everywhere you went there were just people to chat with um there was no room to sit in the fresh market where everyone hangs out in between press screenings <laughs> that kind of thing so it was definitely the vibe was everyone's back in person there's still the online thing but you know, it just it just felt like kind of that festival. It really felt festival e, um, but it was also weird because you could see the. I I am assuming it was kind of the after effects of the strikes from last year, where um, there was so much less money being spent. For example, and this is one that so many people complained about, myself included. Um, every year when you check in, you get your badge and you get this little you know little bag. Um, with some some pamphlets and stuff in it and they always give you a water bottle this year no water bottle no water and there's like it's so important to stay hydrated no water also, bottles <laughs> less pamphlets yeah. like last year they gave us like a um a bus schedule that was one of my issues this year is like the lack of literature about the bus schedule and where to go and when to go and all of that was it was just gone yeah uh, so yeah, there wasn't, I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to get a water bottle. It would have been nice to get more information about everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was just kind of in general, it felt, um, it felt more disorganized. I was actually at one point, I was at a shuttle stop waiting to, you know, hitch a ride to somewhere. I don't remember where I was going. And I, you know, I just happened to be standing next to a conversation happening between some Sundance volunteers and employees. And they were talking about, they didn't get into any details out in 
front of everybody, but they were definitely talking about how there were a lot of problems behind the scenes and there was a lot of just disorganization happening. So it really showed. Um, but overall, I don't know. I thought my my experience in general was was very positive. How yeah, about you, I agree. Um, there was something that felt off about it. I will say that I have felt that disorganization without going into too much detail because we don't want to uh, disturb the Sundance gods from uh, maybe going in the future. Um, yeah, I had some issues in terms of, you know, it, it suddenly just felt off. There was just something off. Um, and I think maybe money had something to do with that. Um, the Travis or my boss, I work for Punch Drunk Critics, and and Travis and I were talking about how um there also seemed the quality of the movies was was very very high, but there wasn't like oftentimes people will come back from Sundance and be like, this is the movie of the year, and it didn't seem like there were many of those. Though I will say that, um. There were a few documentaries that a lot of people were talking about and falling in love with, which I uh, am so, so excited that we'll get to talk about some of that. Because I didn't watch any of the documentaries last year. So this year I ended up watching four. Um, yeah, it was it was a good Sundance. It wasn't super cold. We were just discussing that. Um, I think it was colder in D.C. than it was. Uh, and I'm from D.C., uh, than it was in Park City, which I was totally okay with. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was a good festival. I wouldn't say anything. It was like anything to write home about. One thing Cortland and I did get to do that was not part of the movie going experience is we went to Meredith Marks's store on Main Street. And for anybody who's like, who the hell is Meredith Marks? Um, she's one of the you Real Housewives leave. of Salt Lake City. <laughs> That was a that was a well, we could um yes that was really really fun we contained multitudes it was fun to like watch a bunch of cool movies and then go see some housewives so yeah. apparently they were out and about too I saw some people uh saw Lisa Barlow so well she is the self named queen Sundance. of Sundance yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's it sounds like it was an okay festival then like the yeah. It was enjoyable and everything. I do wonder how much is a result of both the strikes and the fact that there's been all of the issues around COVID and limitations on that sort of thing. And so a lot of festivals have pared back. Um, and then there's also just not as much money running around, uh, which is... You really... Thing. Yeah, you also really saw the the money thing in the acquisitions, which we'll talk mm -hmm. about some of the specific ones as we go, but... Um, but the selling Sundance is usually a feeding frenzy, you know, and, and like you've got studios just snatching up everything. It becomes big headlines. What movie became the highest seller um, this year? There were only a few sales that happened during the festival. There are a couple of things that already had had distribution before they got there. Um, but there were only like four movies that sold during the festival. And then there have been a few more that have picked up buyers in the week after um but most of them are netflix like like it seems like they're mm -hmm. the only ones really spending any money this year it's very strange and I mean, honestly i you know i have 
good and bad feelings about Netflix, but this is a little bit frustrating because they're driving out some of the ind- the more independent distributors because they drive up the sale prices and nobody else can afford to compete. And there's there's I mean, all of oh. this conflict between streamers and what streamers are buying what and how much they're acquiring. And I don't know where Netflix even gets their money at this point because they're not profitable. Um, it's all gonna, I'm sorry, it's all gonna run into a brick wall eventually and it's mm-hmm. gonna be a really bad scene. Yeah. Well, they seem to profit off of the no password sharing. They gained 30 million users from that. So, you know, I think they're okay for now. It'll be interesting to see sort of what happens now that I think they announced this week that like Disney and Hulu are now doing the same thing that Netflix did in password sharing. So we'll see if, if, People just get tired and cut cords. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll. I, I also. I was thinking, and maybe this doesn't have to do with this directly, but one of the money issues too could just be there's just not a lot of money right now in media. Like while we were there, um, a large publication that you think uh, is very very you think would be stable, um, let a bunch of people go who were actually like attending the festival. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so um i that might have something to do with it as well like you said there's just not enough money going around yeah yeah there's a lot of upheaval going on right now and it's it's difficult to tell exactly how it's all going to come out <clears throat> um it's all my know. fault for canceling my la time subscription i take full responsibility <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> i wasn't gonna out them but okay karen <laughs> well i think i mean everybody we I've I barely pay attention to a lot of this stuff, and I've I've definitely heard about that. So yeah. Uh, so but let's talk about some of the films, like some of the films that you you both saw, um, that you enjoyed, that were like you know have been acquired, should be acquired. Um, so Karen, you wanted to start with Thelma, so tell us all about that. I would actually like Cortland to start with Thelma because right. <laughs> I I was already kind of planning on seeing it, but I was more enthusiastic after running into to Cortland who told me you have to see this movie. Uh yeah, Thelma is a delight. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Um, that's not true. I when I told uh, so like a lot of critics, I stayed at a house that had like five to six other people in it. Um, and when I told people that one of my most anticipated films was Thelma, they kind of like rolled their eyes and were like, you must really like June Squibb. And I do really like June Squibb. And it turns out I was absolutely correct. Um, that became one of the, you know, highlights for a lot of people at the festival. Um I had a screener to watch it at the house, so I did, and multiple people asked me for the screener afterwards uh, to join in. Thelma follows a older woman, we're talking 94 years old, uh, who lives by herself still in L.A., and uh, she is adored by her grandson, played by Fred Hedger, um, and she gets a phone call one day as a lot of older people do um, by someone claiming that her grandson has gotten into an accident and she needs to send $10,000. And of course she does um, because she's a good person. And, and, you know, it did sound like her grandson and um, 
the story then kind of goes from there of her feeling embarrassed, not wanting to uh, be moved into a assisted living home and her just making the decision of like, yeah, I'm going to go after what I want. And she goes after what she wants and she decides to get her money back along the way. She runs into Richard Roundtree and his last performance, um, which was such a beautiful and such a sweet performance from him. Um, and yeah, it follows them all around LA as they talk to old people and go upstairs and ride on scooters and hide at gas stations. And, um, it's a really well-written story, um, from first time director, Josh Margolian. Um, and I'm really excited that Magnolia picked it up, uh, and that other people get to see the magic that is, that is Thelma. And I'm anticipating a lot of Thelma Halloween costumes this year. So <laughs> A couple things I really loved about it were that um, it very intentionally and specifically references Mission Impossible. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Which many Tom Cruise so movies. Funny, yeah. There's actually like a scene where she's got the LA Times calendar page open, and it's like a profile of Tom Cruise and stuff like that. Like she and and her grandson are watching Fallout. I knew specifically it was Fallout because I recognized the running scene. Um, but yeah, so it's like there's there's those kind of references which were so funny and and cute. But I also really liked how sensitive it is to um to the needs and the desires of of old people like elderly people who want to have that uh, independence still but maybe do need a little bit more care and it's not like she has not just a good relationship with her grandson but with her daughter and son-in-law too and once this scam happens they're having a really serious conversation about like is it time to move her into a home and it's not just, oh, let's just dump the old bird and be done with her. It's like, this is a really difficult decision for them. And so the movie is very funny, but it's also really, um, really sweet and sensitive and kind to that real difficult conversation that a lot of families have to have. And we've seen in the last couple of years, this Hollywood or indie cinema, and it's not all indie cinema, has sort of taken an interest into that demographic more. Last year, we had Moving On uh, that also had Richard Roundtree and Malcolm McDowell, who are both in this one, um, and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin um, do kind of a revenge story there. You know, the book club series are very popular. Um, 80 for Brady, that came out last year. Um, Jewel, Love that movie. I love that movie I so much. It's an extended <laughs> advertisement for the NFL and Tom Brady, and I love it. Um <laughs> Now we need like a, another, we need one for like Kelsey anyway, um, <laughs> for, for Jason Kelsey. Um, but there was also Jules last year, which was like beautifully combined aging and aliens in such a beautiful way. Um, so we're seeing this kind of rise of this, this demographic being taken more cinematically and more seriously. Um, and I'm, I just, I'm so excited to see, see where it goes and see what else comes of it. I would say this is like probably the, the best done of the ones that I've mentioned and of the ones that have come out. Um, it's worth mentioning that the director based this experience on his own uh, and something like this almost happened with his grandmother. And he thought, well, what if it did happen and let's run towards that idea. And so he um, 
And so he did. And at the end, you actually get to see his grandmother, which is very, very sweet. So. Yeah. And also shout out to June Squibb, who after a 70 year career gets her first leading role. I so. think <laughs> the world has needed June Squibb as an action hero and we finally get it. Um, <laughs> and that is why we will be getting June Squibb Halloween costumes. And also now <laughs> my new dream is that Christopher McQuarrie sees Thelma and writes her in as Ethan Hunt's mother for the next Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't that sort of happen with um, Fast and Furious? Like mm-hmm. Rita Marino wanted to be in it so they wrote her in was it rita marino yeah, yeah i guess so. so yeah yeah isn't she dom's mom yeah i was just trying to think was it was it rita that they ended up yeah i think you're right anyway yeah that sounds right that sounds right i'd have to look it up but i think that's true uh this that's i mean honestly that movie sounds amazing <laughs> i want to see great. it i want to see it now um also, like Richard Roundtree, who's I, I think that that's I think that's part of it is that you've got this entire generation of actors that people know really like people like uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and, and um, Richard Roundtree. You're like, oh, we know these guys. They're iconic. Right. And now they're all in their 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And it's like, OK, we, we want to see them continuing to be iconic. And they're they're still active. And like particularly people like Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are very um, still major players in the industry and are able to get those kinds of films made. And that helps other kinds of films like that get made. Um, I will so say to see you it. about the Richard Roundtree performance that, you know, this is the last one that he did. And I, I keep saying that um, it's so nice that this is his final performance. Mm-hmm. He gets to do something here that, he, you know, we haven't really seen him play sweet before and he's very, very sweet in this. Um, and also it's cool for him to be in like an action heist film, you know, a la, you know, his roots and shaft. So for this to kind of be the capstone of like a little of a very beautiful and long and prosperous career is just it's really it feels very poetic and very apropos. Oh, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. All right. So that's Thelma. And that that's been picked up by Magnolia. Yes. yes. Awesome. Release date so TBD. We will get to TBD. see it. <laughs> it. It'll be September for That's some reason. I think too. Awesome. So the next film y'all wanted to talk about was I'm gonna Ibelin Ibelin. Um, Ibelin. This, docu- this is a documentary, correct? Yes. yes. All um, right. Tell us about it. This was acquired by Netflix, and um, this was another one that Cortland was talking about, and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna watch that, and. Um, it's basically, so there's this boy who was born with Duchenne disease, which is a degenerative muscular disease where, first of all, your muscles don't ever grow to, you know, full development, but then they also start to deteriorate. Um, so by a young age, he was already in a wheelchair and, um, uh, this, his name is Matt's and he passed away at the age of 25. Um, he didn't like he was very introverted. He got to the point where he just didn't really want to interact with, with family and stuff. And all he would do is just spend all his time playing video games. And he did start a blog at one point, just kind of chronicling some of his emotions and things. It was really difficult for him. Um, And when he passed away the day he died, his parents decided to just post something on the blog, just in case anybody, you know, wanted that update and they left their email address and, and they were really, 
it was one of those things where they were just so sad because their son hadn't gotten to experience life. He hadn't gotten to fall in love, hadn't really made any connections with people and hadn't gotten to, to live. And uh, they found out that was actually not true. <laughs> he had a whole life uh, due to World of Warcraft and the community that he was part of there and the friends that he met. And so um, so the the documentary is like the first part of it kind of sets up how he got into gaming and all that. And then the rest of it is really about the connections he made with people. It's, um, they were able to, to animate. They had thousands of pages of transcripts of his time in the game and they were able to animate some of those interactions. And so there's a huge section of the film that is this, this animation that is really stunning. Um, and it's, it's such a such a beautiful story. It really it's also like kind of in a lot of ways a really hopeful story because it shows that um as much as as a lot of people just want to dismiss gaming as like a time waster, it really shows how people who feel so trapped within their own circumstances whether that's physically, mentally, whatever it is, they can still find ways to connect with people across the world due to um, like through this online gaming. And I just thought it was beautiful. I cried. It, yeah. And then seeing his parents get to have this experience of understanding more about who their son really was. Um, yeah. I can't take credit for this one. Um, someone I was living or someone I was staying at the house with uh, recommended it. And I said, all right, sure. Um, it's available online. I will I'll do it. But then the more I talked about it and the more I researched it, I got super, super excited about it. Yeah. I, for me, I, what I really, really loved about Ebeline was, which is his online name, by the way, um, was that it really takes two things, disability and community, something two things that, you know, might not necessarily gel together. And it really explores those ideas. Um, the director, Benjamin Ree, also did um, The Painter and the Thief, which was my favorite documentary of 2020. Um, and I think that here it is brilliantly done. The fact that they do have the animation uh, just kind of chronicling his online life is pretty incredible. For me, one thing that I felt like they could have improved on was they, I feel like sometimes over rely on that animation, uh, especially towards the end of the documentary. Um, when I wanted more of those talking head interviews, we get a lot of those talking head interviews at the beginning and then a lot of like voiceover. Um, but I wanted, I wanted more of that. It's a really beautiful story. And I think it also shows I don't know what it is about our culture and, and and about our cinematic culture that when we have people with disabilities of any kind, we like to um, is in anglicize a word? No, um, I don't know. We 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 think of them as angels and perfect beings, and and you know, I, I don't necessarily always think that that's the way to go here. We see Matt's be a complete asshole to people, which I really, really appreciate that we get to see a full spectrum of his disease, who he was as a person. Um, and he was also like very funny and charming and wanted to genuinely help people. He had a, I didn't know you could do this. I wasn't a huge World of Warcraft person. 
Um, but he ran like a detective agency within the game, which I think is kind of cool. Um, so we kind of get this full spectrum of this human being. Um, and what was really touching to me and the reason why I wanted to watch it was the fact that his family didn't know he had this entire online life. And it was through this community that kind of welcomed his family in and said, here, this is everything we have on him. And we're so sorry for your loss. I mean, they received hundreds of emails from people being like, your son meant so much to us. Um, and and that was kind of my gateway in. So I really, really loved Ebeline. If I can say, Karen, it's been picked up by Netflix. Um, so you will be able to watch from your couch very, very soon. I think actually Netflix feels like a very suitable home for for this film in particular. Some of the other documentaries that I'm sure we'll talk about, I'm like mm, Netflix, but this feels like a Netflix movie. Netflix is really gunning for a documentary feature for next year. <laughs> <laughs> with some of the pickups Oscar. that they have. <laughs> that's what they're up to this entire time is just like we're gonna get a fucking oscar yeah. and we're gonna do it <laughs> and then they're just gonna shut down completely um <laughs> no this one sounds, sounds wonderful and i i think that just listening to you guys talk the so often we treat online relationships as being not real that that kind of community isn't real you know we vilify or like it's dangerous things like that and it is dangerous it can be very dangerous and it can be very toxic but it can also be incredibly positive and it can give particularly when you're talking about disability talking about people who are able to get access to community and communication and all kinds of life that literally wouldn't be able to particularly in the way that our society is constructed right now um, and so it's good to actually see that being showcased cinematically and, and showing that those relationships are real. Um, they are not, you know, simply, oh, we just, you know, they're pretend they're avatars. We just play games, things like that. Um, you know, a lot of us have friendships, et cetera, that are purely online. They're like, we've never necessarily met. Karen and I've never met each other. In <laughs> People person. are so surprised when I say that. <laughs> we will eventually. I am planning on it. This year is when it's going to happen. But, but I mean, it's true, but we're friends. Like we've known each other for a long time. And so those, those relationships are real and it's good. And I think most people know that, but there's still this attitude of, of like, oh no, the, it's not this is an actual friendship. This isn't actually caring about someone. Um, and it, it's good to have those kinds of stories also being told. Um, so yeah, it sounds lovely. Like I'm, I'm interested to see it. I'm glad I, this does sound like it would be a good place for, for like Netflix is a good place for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on to to talk about Hitman. And this is one that I have heard of <laughs> um, because this is the Richard Linkletter, uh, Richard Linkletter's new film, right? And you're going to have to convince me on this one because I fucking hate Richard Linkletter. I've never seen a film of his that I've enjoyed. Uh, so tell me why I should give a shit about this movie, please. Well, I will start by just assuring you that to me, this is the least Richard Linklater film yes. I've ever seen. Yeah. Right, already <laughs> sold. Already sold there. <laughs> and it was co-written by star Glenn Powell. So there's that. It's, um, uh, it's a blend of film noir and screwball comedy, but like in a modern setting and also, not exactly like any film noir or screwball comedy you ever have seen. <laughs> it just channels the vibes of those, I would say. But Cortland, why don't you start with this one? Oh boy. Um, Hitman is fun. It is just a fun, what is it, two-hour ride? Mm -hmm. Um, Glenn Powell plays 
first of all, Glenn Powell, everybody knows him as being like this hot sex machine of a man. Um, and in this movie, he doesn't start out like that, which I appreciate. What range? Um, <laughs> I love so, how like they just put him in slightly longer hair and jean yeah, shorts and yeah. like and where's the fanny pack? And like, suddenly he's not hot. <laughs> yeah. And his voice is a little higher. And that's that. that Yeah. So he plays a college professor um, who is very much into philosophy and um, sociology and all of that. He's a psych and, professor. Yeah. Psych professor. And um, he gets a part time job, as one does, um, at a police station uh, for the new orleans police but this is definitely not new orleans <laughs> that's that's one thing that really bothered me i was like this is not new orleans this is austin um <laughs> uh uh he works as a uh kind of like a bit hitman fall guy for the um for the police department uh where he creates ads online for people to come and try to kill their spouse, their teacher, their mom, their dad, whoever you want to have killed. Uh, you can go to Glenn Powell's, you know, fake online identity, and he will basically then turn you into the police. Um, and so we see this happen like probably 20, 30 times throughout the film, um, through, definitely in the beginning. Um and we see him do it for the first time. He turns out to be really good at it. And there's something very mesmerizing about him doing it. Um, and then we see him do it more and he adopts different personas and channels different uh, actors like Brad Pitt and uh, Tilda Swinton at one point, which is genius. And it's just, it's so fun to watch him kind of disappear into this character. Uh, all of that is kind of disrupted when one of the people uh, looking for his services turns out to be a really hot lady and she needs his, uh, his help killing her husband. Um, and so kind of psychology and human nature and desires of the heart kind of combine um, and he has to figure out how to get her and get out of it at the same time. So it's a really really fun one yeah like when he meets her um it's very i was just like oh she's kathleen turner this is body heat <laughs> it's not and she's not but uh it's definitely channeling some of that so it's very much like the the guy who like the dorky guy who's who's you know who falls victim to the the beautiful woman um you know that kind of thing but it's but it goes in some different directions so it's not totally uh it's not totally predictable in the oh this is the movie that it's doing so right um yeah so it's a lot of fun i also want to say too that the character that glenn powell plays is based on a real guy the story is not real <laughs> but this this person that he plays is real um and, and like a few other Linklater films, he got it from a Texas Monthly article, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, if you want something done or if you want to make a movie, go to Texas Monthly, man. Like they've got, <laughs> got some stories there. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. So but yeah, it's just a it's just an enjoyable movie. This one's going to be, I think, a crowd pleaser when it hits Netflix in June. And um Again, it's the least Richard Linklater film that he's ever made, I think. I will uh, say that the hype that this got out of TIFF, I was expecting mm -hmm. like the greatest 
yeah book movie ever made and um it's very enjoyable and a fun watch uh but i wouldn't say it's the greatest book movie ever made so it's very entertaining <clears throat> yeah it's a very entertaining movie it's not and necessarily a particularly brilliant movie <laughs> no but it's but I think it's also cool to see a different side of Glenn Powell, at least, you know, from a writing perspective. I don't think he, mm -hmm. we've really seen anything he's written and he really, really, really shines here. Um, and, you know, he plays to his strengths, which, you know, you can't fault him on. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, the so montage where he does all these different, different personas is really, really funny. <laughs> they do bash, like verbally bash cats in this. And I like, you know that could, that's room for improvement yeah that was kind of unforgivable but <laughs> but they also you know bash mega so can't hate them for that <laughs> cats and mega okay you know the, the two most evil organizations in the world. <laughs> it's an interesting mouth well i i'm i'll i'll try it um yeah like i say richard Linklater is not my guy at all never has been but um but this does this does sound like fun and all of the reviews have been very positive i think uh yeah and in terms of the hype uh, i i think we always talk about the fact that the festival hype is crazy like you you see i mean so many times there's at least a couple of films people are like this is the greatest movie ever made this is going to change cinema forever and it never does like it's never that good there's always an issue and then there's the inevitable backlash against it very often against films that don't deserve to have that backlash but it's because it's been built up to the degree that like a bunch of very overtired and overzealous critics have like gotten way too excited about <laughs> a film and then wind up overselling it over caffeinated um, undernourished <laughs> yeah i mean it's true you know you go to a festival it's like there's the people there's like things it's like oh my god i'm seeing this movie this is the greatest movie ever made and then you rewatch it's like maybe not but it's yeah. good but and you're sitting six feet good. from anthony ramos and glenn yeah. powell's there to introduce the movie yeah yeah it's very very much the hype and everybody needs to chill out a little bit about it there will um, be a before hitman and an after <laughs> hitman and the world will never be the same i still i still i remember who said that i still want to go up and slap him like i've still if i ever meet him i'm gonna go up and i'm just gonna slap his face yes uh, and yes. then walk away and you know <laughs> and he's like why just say you know that's part of this year's awards conversation that as soon as you said that i was like oh that one <laughs> This was at a certain major film festival in Europe and uh, <laughs> now it's nominated for Oscars and should it? I don't think so, but mm -hmm. what do I know? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this this does sound like a lot of fun. And yet again, another Netflix film. I was like, all right, Netflix. Yeah, I see what you're up to. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next one y'all wanted to talk about was A Real Pain, um, which is directed and produced by Jesse Eisenberg. Now, here's another one that you're going to have to convince me of. Um, so, yes, that, that sounds sounds kind of like an odd film. Is this a comedy a drama? What is this? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I have to tell you, too, I had to be convinced about this one because I am not a fan of Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, one of the best reviews I ever read of a Jesse Eisenberg movie said it's Jesse Eisenberg like you've always seen him before because he plays the same guy in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say here, no exception. 
Right. But no, but this time it works. <laughs> like, and I think that he, I mean, he is basically playing the same character, but there is sort of this um, more sympathetic element to him that I haven't really seen before. Instead of just being this neurotic asshole, he's like neurotic, but um, caring and compassionate. Still sometimes an asshole, but not intentionally. Um and yeah, so basically he, he also directs this film um, and it and is uh, Kieran Culkin, new Emmy winner, Kieran Culkin uh, play. They, the two of them play cousins whose grandmother has recently passed away. Their grandmother was from Poland. She survived the Holocaust. And when she died, she left behind a little bit of money for them to go on this trip to basically connect with where she, where she came from. And so they are with a tour group of of other folks who um i think pretty much everybody in this group is jewish except for the tour guide um jennifer gray is in it i'm trying to think of who else but um sharp from the white lotus um, yes really awesome and weird director in his own right yeah um and so it's most of the film is them just going from city to city on this tour um until eventually Eisenberg and, and Culkin's characters split off from the group for a specific reason, but it's surprisingly touching. Um, it's very moving. Some of the, it's, sometimes it's very, very funny, um, but most of the comedy is a lot more muted. It's, it's more just kind of like, Oh, <laughs> you know, whatever. That's, that's, that's kind of funny, but it's really more about just this relationship between these two cousins who used to be very close, but circumstances in life have just kind of gotten in the way. And, um, and Kieran in particular, the character that he plays, you just get this sense that he's this lost soul that just, you know, at some point he kind of got distanced from, from people that really cared about him in that shows. And so this experience for the two of them, this week long trip, um, it does some things for both of them that uh, it just like, it, it just really, um it, it's it's like cathartic to watch it but it's also um in some ways really like it doesn't necessarily leave you happier <laughs> than you began but it's also not depressing either yes okay <laughs> all right all right all right that sounds uh not 100 convinced yet but <laughs> but it does sound it does sound interesting um and and I'm I'm sorry when you're talking about Jesse Eisenberg being like oh he's like neurotic and I had this moment of just like oh my god he's he's this generation's Woody Allen oh fuck I wasn't oh, no. gonna say the name but yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I'm not saying nothing about Woody Allen <laughs> right. personally in terms of Jesse Eisenberg I'm not saying that but on screen I'm like that's right. exactly what Jesse Eisenberg is he's 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 Woody Allen <laughs> and occasionally that persona works in films in mm-hmm. this case it really worked for this film okay. I will say two things. I hated when you finished Saving the World, which came out two years ago at Sundance. Um, that's Jesse Eisenberg's first film starring Finn Wolfhard and Julianne Moore. I found the characters insufferable. Um, I just, I, I, it was really hard to get through that movie. Um, I found that his writing of Kieran Culkin's character was so moving and emmatic and I just could not pull my eyes away from Colkin. I mean, 
we're going through a tour through Europe, but we're really touring through Colkin's emotions throughout the movie. Um, I, I think he's the standout. Uh, it's his film. I mean, even though <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg writes, directs, produces, stars in, it's it's really Culkin's movie, and and he graciously also gives it to Culkin, which I appreciate as as well. Um, there's a really funny scene uh, about where they go to a memorial and they're all taking pictures, and of course, Kieran Culkin's character wants to take a silly photo and. It just sort of goes off from there. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, mourning and what that looks like on, you know, obviously they're on a Holocaust tour. So looking at at what that means in that perspective, but then also as an individual, you kind of also get the, the vibe that between the two characters that, you know, one was emotionally taken care of by his parents and then one wasn't. And both of those like stems of that family tree come from the grandmother so what happened there that why are these two people so completely different um i what i appreciated about the film was what karen said in terms of it doesn't leave you with this warm fuzzy feeling that that you kind of really want and want and expect it to um go for kieran colkin's performance he's super hot right now um you know he leaves a little bit of Roman Roy behind, but really gets to like lean into that emotionality that we saw in the final season of Succession from him. Um, and then, of course, play into this comedy. I I couldn't get there was I am such a huge fan of the film Igby Goes Down. And there were shades of that character in here, which I really, really appreciated. I don't know if there's any big Igby uh, fans out there in the audience, um, but uh, we we get a little bit of that from him, and I I appreciated it. So, Lauren, go for the Kieran Culkin performance and see if that does anything for you. <laughs> All right, all right. I will get past my Jesse Eisenberg issue, <laughs> um, just as I would get past my Richard Linklater issue. <laughs> so I'm many just, issues yeah. that I got yeah. with various actors and directors. <laughs> it's, just, it's hard to navigate sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I'm with you. I I do not like Jesse Eisenberg. And I was very much like even right up to when I hit play on this movie, I was like, mm, not feeling it. And then as soon as mm -hmm. I started watching it, I was like, wow, this this is unexpected in a good way. OK, good. Good. I mean, I've already been surprised by an actor this year, so I'm definitely definitely down for that. So the next one that we wanted to talk about was Winner. Um, and this is about the the life of reality winner uh, that I think most of us know who, who that is. Um, and it's directed by Susanna Fogel, who also did uh, The Spy Who Dumped Me, right? Yes. yes. I must said mm -hmm. The Spy Who Loved Me. I was like, that is a different film. <laughs> Very uh, different. So... This I am excited about, like, I because I like Susanna Fogel. Um, so, yeah, tell us about Winner. So I just want to start by saying that Cortland and I were not on the same page on this one. And that's part of why I wanted to talk about it. So Cortland, why don't you start? Okay. So I want to preface that I really like Susanna Fogel. Um, I really love her film Life Partners. Um, and I really liked Cat Person, I think more than the average critic did last year. That premiered at Sundance last year with uh, Succession star Nicholas Braun. And um, Amelia Jones, who is also uh, plays reality winner in this film. What you should know about me is 
through the critic gods, I have basically reviewed every single piece of media about Reality Winner. Um, I've seen Reality with uh, Sydney Sweeney, which is based on a play and literally just is like two hours of her being interrogated, um, pretty much word for word from the FBI transcript that we got uh, during the trial. Um, and then I also, my favorite piece of media is the reality winner documentary. Also, we'll say, um, if we ever get another piece of reality winner media, please name it something other than her name. Um, I know that that is really, really like, you know, the cool thing about it. And her name is reality winner. What a cool name. Um, I'm tired of getting confused by these movies. Um, I believe the Sydney Sweeney one is called reality, the documentary, which really goes into her personal life and kind of the history of, um, not espionage, but what she's been charged with under the Espionage Act. Um, you know, that that film, uh, that documentary is called Reality Winner. And I, now Susanna Fogles is called Winner. I felt like there are things that the HBO series, or the HBO show and the documentary did a lot better they did two very different things and they did things better than Susanna Fogel's version and I hate to call it Susanna Fogel's version um because I I don't think the full problem lives with her for me that they didn't hit certain beats that I needed them to hit this is like a full-blown biopic essentially um that covers you know her childhood why she kind of did what she did um though they don't really explain that to a point where I needed it to um, and then sort of leading up to her imprisonment and eventual release. Um, I do not love Amelia Jones, and I thought she was pretty good in this, to be honest with you. So that's a highlight. One thing that this film did really well, and then Karen can kind of fill in the gaps, um, is they explore the relationship between reality and her father in a way that I don't think we've seen from other media. That relationship was the most intriguing to me. Um, Zach Galifianakis plays her father. Connie Britton plays her mother. Catherine Newton plays her sister. And that relationship between Galifianakis and Jones really, really stole the show. He plays kind of this like borderline anarchist writer who clearly loves his daughters and wants to raise them correctly but also there's some deep-seated mental illness there um and addiction issues and i always like a complicated galifianakis um i like when he's not always playing the broad kind of funny guy and he is funny in this but um i like when we get to see a little more from him and, and Susanna definitely brought that out um in his performance so i'll then hand it over to Karen because I think she'll be able to explain it more <laughs> than I did. I think you explained it very well. I just think um, some of why this really worked for me and resonated with me um, more than it did with you. This isn't a movie where you're going to learn a lot of the facts about her case. That's not the intention and that's not what it does. But for me, like there's a there's a part where I mean, the whole thing is is voiceover narrated by Amelia Jones as reality. And so to me, some of what um, what really shines through is some of the, the commentary she kind of offers on her own experiences. And one of the things that, that she says multiple times um, is, and this actually goes to what you said, Lauren, when uh, 
when you were first introducing this movie is like, oh, we know a lot about Reality Winner. The, the point of this movie is that we don't. Everybody knows her name and loves to make fun of it. Like the late night host had a blast making fun of, of her name. And like, is that really your name? Like what a weird name. Um, but people really don't know who, who reality is. And I know the documentary Cortland does, uh, does get into that, but a lot of people haven't watched the documentary. And, um, so this really is, is the intention of this and the focus of it. And what I think it does very well is really humanize reality as a person, a full person who had a complicated family and a father that she dearly, dearly loved, but who was troubled and a relationship with her sister that was um, sometimes not so close and sometimes very, very close. And the way that her experience, her case, her sentence, everything um, impacted and brought her family closer together. I think all of that, it succeeds very well. This is a slightly fictionalized version of her story that really does trim out a lot of the details. But I think what it does as far as making reality winner a real person for people, I think it's very successful in that. I agree. I think it, I think it does. I think for a lot of people going into this movie, they're going to be wondering why she did it. Yes. This will be probably the one piece of media that they do watch about reality winner. And I don't necessarily know if you're going in blind and don't know the story very well, other than her name, if you're going to get the sense of why she did it. Um, Her sense of justice is very much established in the beginning, but her sense of her hatred of Donald Trump, I think it is not fully explored in this at all. Um, the, The failure by the news outlet, The Intercept, is completely swept under the rug. There's really no information on that in this film other than like literally two lines of dialogue. Um, that is true. If you yeah. Know her story. It's kind of frustrating. And while I do appreciate, um, you know, I do appreciate, like you said, that it really does humanize her and give you know her personal life the agency that it deserves. She also has a whole relationship, and who knows if this is real. Um, uh, but she has a whole relationship on on screen, and it it works really really well and and does a great job to humanize her and show the discipline that she puts into her relationships into her personal life because of the job that she did um, and how she physically punished herself I think that the film does a really good job that the documentary also pulled out of is it really showcases how the reality winner is just a typical millennial a lot of the humor that she uses that was eventually used against her by the U.S. government is stuff that we say on a daily basis. Um, be careful. It might be used against you in a court of law. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I will not go further than that, but I will say that it is, I think it really does showcase her sense of humor pretty well. What, what was for me is it felt like Susanna Fogel wasn't picking a side or taking a point of view. And while I think that is very noble, what Reality Winner did was inherently political. And I feel like, therefore, that she needs to, the film needs to t- take a side and has a fo- have a focus. Um, it's really interesting, and the documentary kind of ends like this. And I know this, this is the documentary, and I can't fault it for that. But the documentary kind of ends saying that Donald Trump uh, is charged under the same act with the same charges that Reality Winner went to jail for se- uh, for five years for. Um, which I think is kind of a neat little button on everything that the movie doesn't necessarily um, explore. So 
Um, I think this is a really interesting gateway, I guess, into the reality winner story. I hope that other people explore further than there because um, there's more to it. Yeah, don't make this the only thing you watch about Reality Winner, but I definitely think that it's it's worth your time. Yeah. Okay. And I'm cool if we get like an HBO miniseries 20 years down the line, but I'm good with Reality Winner content. We've had three. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> HBO let's, still exists. Let's take a pause now. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be Hulu and it'll be in about 18 months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> Well, it's it's always one of those difficulties when you're talking about particularly recent history. I mean, this didn't happen. This wasn't that long ago. Um, and and when you're actually talking about recent history and then people that are still alive, things that are still ongoing, information that still don't, you know, doesn't exist. And then and then also the the needs of a fiction film and what a fiction film has to do versus a documentary versus, you know, what the true story is, but also the way that people perceive fiction, because we do we're much more likely to look at a feature film and say like, oh, this is what actually happened. Uh, even though we are constantly being told, don't take fiction as history. Don't take it as like truth, 100%. Don't take documentaries as truth, but it's closer to like, you know, trying to to bring out the real sources, et cetera. So there are things that get fictionalized and, and stuff like that, that, you know, might get at reality at some reality uh, in some way, but not, um, not completely get it the the truth of what happened uh and you know and, and whose truth is that so it's an interesting issue but um i don't know i i will be i i would just watch it for because i enjoy susanna fogel's work so it's one of those things that i'm like i'll i'll check it out yeah it does not have distribution yet but i'm sure that will change mm-hmm uh, so we want to close out with uh, Daughters, which is a, a documentary. Um, this is about um, incarceration and father-daughter relationships. So which one of you would like to start on on this one? Karen, you want to begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix just bought this one, too, um, which feels like a weird kind of weird home for it. Yeah. Um, but this is where I say like went between. Uh, there's another one that they bought that I'm sure Cortland wants to mention. I haven't gotten to see it. And then Evelyn and Daughters. This is where I say like Netflix is really, really gunning for that documentary feature Oscar next year. Um, so Daughters is about a program run out of the DC correction system where it's been it's been in place for about 14 years. Um, men who are incarcerated. Um, have the opportunity to sign up for this program. It's voluntary, but of course they do have to meet certain criteria. Um, And it's about a 10 week program. They have to go to parenting classes and group counseling, and they have just certain things that they have to accomplish. And if they do all of that at the end of it, they get to attend a father daughter dance with their daughters. And um, meanwhile, on the outside, the daughters also are going through some group therapy sessions and some preparation, what it's going to be like to go into the jail and, um, you know, how are they going to connect with their fathers? Some of whom they've never even really seen their fathers got locked up when they were babies. Um, and it particularly follows four girls and their dads, but it also does touch on some other experiences as well. Um, what I, some of the things that, first of all, I sobbed through 90% of this movie, it's 
so and not because it's sad it's just it's so moving some of it is because it's sad but um but it's just so moving seeing the way that this connection between fathers and daughters really can change lives and and kind of heal what's broken um and so as you get to hear some of their experiences and and one of the things i really like is that they never touch on what any of the men are incarcerated for it's not about what they did it's about who they are and who they want to be and um some of them are probably not ever going to get out or it's going to be decades but some of them also will uh be released and and some are will, released. yeah some are now out um and it's it's and there's a follow-up with that too um but it's really about how this experience really does change them and and kind of turn them around set them on a new path in ways that other programs that are targeting recidivism just simply can't do and it's just because of this connection between fathers and daughters that is so essential for the fathers and for the daughters and i it's it's really moving it's heartbreaking at times but it's also really hopeful too one thing that I, I I think education about prison practices and systematic practices in this country is so low. I did not know going into this movie that touch visits are a specific kind of visits that you can have. I thought that if you visited someone in jail, you know, you got the two minute or the not the two minute, the like, you know, the three second hug or you could like, you know, touch their wrist most of the people in this program are not allowed to touch people. There are kids who have not touched their dad in like three years um, in these programs. And and dads who haven't touched anybody. And like, dads who haven't touched anybody this entire time. And as somebody who, like at Sundance, I got overstimulated and needed a hug at one point. You know, like as somebody who who gets through that, that sounds like absolutely devastating. Um, and it really opened my eyes to another part of the prison system that I wasn't aware of and how I feel like it should be a human right, to be honest with you. Going back to what Karen said, you know, they don't, um, they don't reveal what these people are in for. Um, I think you get maybe one person's full name that theoretically, I guess you could Google, um, but you don't really know what they're going in for. Karen and I did have a conversation before. Like we assume that they they there what there isn't anything inherently sexual to their charges. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to see their kid at all. Um, but I found the way the directors told the story was so beautifully human by following these girls, you know, throughout the film. I would say the dance occurs like halfway through and lasts for about 20 minutes. And then we get multiple updates that kind of happen really fast at like the three-year mark, at the five-year mark. And you literally watch these girls grow up. Um, and it's so moving. Um, I wish, and I think you said this as well, Karen, coming out of the the, the film that they switched some of the stories at the end of like, when you got this person, when you got that person. And I agree with that. I wish they spent more time on two uh, girls and dads that, you know, 
were more successful in the program. Of course, they didn't know that going in, like which ones would be successful and which ones wouldn't. Um, there's, I want to talk about one person in particular. Uh, there's a 10-year-old that we meet named Santana. Um, and she is determined not to have kids. She's upset with her dad. You know, she says, I'm not going to get married until I'm 45. Like she, she is over it. She's very strong willed. She's got very uh, strong opinions. And it's because her dad disappointed and her so deeply. Because her dad disappointed her. We learned towards the end of the film that he'd been incarcerated pretty much her entire life, not getting out. I think more, not being free for more than 90 days at a time. And this girl's 10. Um, so all of this is very, very understandable. And the way the film like subtly builds up this idea that like once she finally sees her dad, she's not going to give him an inch. She's going to be very, very stoic the whole time. There's going to be nothing there. And that doesn't happen. That's what broke me. <laughs> That's what broke me. I think this like relationship, the way the film is able to like look at connection and look at those expectations and really examine, you know, the connection between fathers and daughters, but then also like the need to have that relationship and how fundamental and, and how, you know, it's a human thing to just want your dad. And yeah. I think it really beautifully, beautifully explores it. Um, this seems like a weird home for it, to be honest with you. Netflix, it, this doesn't feel like a Netflix movie, to be honest. Um, I don't know, Hulu would even feel more appropriate than, than Netflix. Um, but I'm excited to see where this goes, you know. It is produced by Carrie Washington and Jessica Seinfeld. Um, so there is some some backing behind it. What is interesting, too, is that it's co-directed by um, Natalie Ray and then Angela Patton, I think is her last name, but I could be wrong. Um, Angela Patton is actually the founder of the program, which normally we would say that that is like, you know, a documentarian too close to the subject. But I think the way that they shoot it and because it's specifically about the daughters, it works. Mm -hmm. um, so highly recommend daughters. You will cry, um, but it will be a very therapeutic cry. And um, I'll just say I got the famous Sundance cold. And uh, it cleared my sinuses. <laughs> I was crying <laughs> so hard. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if anybody uh, can get through this movie without crying, you are dead inside. And I pity you. <laughs> yeah. I don't cry movie. in movies. I don't cry in movies. No, <laughs> never do it. No, movies, not you. TV never. shows, movies, TV shows, nothing. nothing I flat. <laughs> I just wanted to add to that. I think um, one thing also that this does well um, that it doesn't spend a lot of time on, but it does touch on is the difficulty, the challenges, not just with the lack of touch visits, but just the challenges of visits in general. Yeah. And, um, you know, these, um, uh, these, these incarcerated individuals, the way that they get moved around, they get moved far away. A lot of the families are low income, so they can't just travel two States away to go visit people. And um, so it touches on that it touches on like, you know, they only have so many minutes for a video phone call and mom has to buy more credit and things like that. It, it does, it does get into some of that. And also some of the, the, 
difficulty in these relationships or some of the the barrier in the relationships is mom because moms have been wronged so much by these dads that they are just like, eh, you know, like mm-hmm. he needs to just go away. And so they touch on that without dwelling on it and without making moms look like villains either. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask if they addressed at all the, the fact like who, who's taking care of the girls, if it was their mothers, mm-hmm. grandmothers, fam, like family members, et cetera. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's not, I mean, that does sound really amazing. It's good to, there've been a lot of films recently about incarceration and about the human element of, you know, not so much, this is what these people did and this is why, you know, they're in prison, but more like these are people who are in prison and who have families and friends and all kinds of things on the outside that, and this is the way that the prison system treats them. Um, and it's good to see that that's continuing. That's a continuing trend and that's continuing to be discussed and, you know, maybe might actually make some changes. And, uh, and I think that basically Daughters holds up a magnifying glass to some prison practices, um, whether it's, you know, commodifying just phone credits and video texts and all of that, or, you know, touch visits becoming illegal for the last or not illegal, but unheard of essentially for the last 10 years. Um, It very much touches upon those things and and really looks at like, okay, sure. You're punishing the people who did the crime, but who else are you punishing? Who are the bystanders here? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and will that eventually lead to the children's, uh, incarceration which you know they talk about in we see a lot of the group therapy sessions as well and um many talk about how their mothers were incarcerated how their fathers were incarcerated how this is part of a cycle and so um what's really cool and i don't think this is a spoiler is that 95 percent of the people in this program don't go back once they're released um yeah and so it, it really does provide a blueprint on how we should be doing things in the future. and that's 14 that's years of of participants you know so 95 percent mm-hmm. is incredible yeah this is this is one you know i don't know if we'll be talking about ebeline or you know some of the other documentaries i'm sure we'll talk about later but i don't know if we'll be talking about those come oscar time next year i have a feeling daughters will be nominated for an oscar yeah. next year if not win it Wow. All right. Well, it's powerful. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah, it's good. That's real good. Um, so are there other films that you guys wanted to mention really quickly? Anything that you saw that you just, you know, wanted to give a shout out to hasn't been picked up yet, needs needs to get eyes on it, anything like that? Um, who who wants it? Karen, start. You you go. You go first, Karen. <laughs> okay. I just want to go through a couple really quickly. Um th- so one of them, it did get distribution. It got bought by Neon, and that is Presence, the new Steven Soderbergh film, um, which Soderbergh, I admire that he's always a little bit experimental. His movies tend to be kind of hit or miss for me, especially the last few years. But this is his take on a ghost movie and like a haunted house movie. And... I found myself just totally drawn in from the beginning. It moves pretty quickly. Uh, it's basically a family move. It, the whole movie is like 88 minutes or something, but this family moves into a house that has a presence in it. Um, what makes this a standout is that the entire movie is from the point of view of the ghost 
And um, so you see what the ghost sees, you hear what the ghost hears. Um, it's there. You can sense the emotion. It's not a scary movie at all, um, but it's, it's a deeply emotional one. And there are certain things that are happening within this family. The teenage daughter recently lost a friend um, to a drug overdose and um, the parents, their relationship is not good. And somebody did something possibly illegal. They never really get into that. Um, but it's like all this, this drama and all this um, just turmoil that's happening in the house. And um, you really feel that through what the ghost experiences. It's fascinating. It's beautiful. It's, it's one that uh, definitely was a bit divisive, <laughs> but I, it, it ended up being my favorite movie from Sundance this year. It just, it, it just really, um, it just really captured something I needed, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it other than that, but I thought that was just excellent. You know, I think that's gonna, oh, the other one I wanted to mention, sorry, there was one more, uh, Freaky Tales, which is the new, um, Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden movie which stars pedro pascal ben mendelson jay ellis um dominique thorne angus cloud it's um it's a movie where there's four separate storylines that happen and they're it's kind of told in chapters um there are connected there's connective material between the four storylines but they don't blend one to the other and they don't like have a big come together moment really um a couple of them do but it's basically it's set in 1987 oakland it's um gets into the oakland punk scene in the 80s and the rap scene and um skinheads and um this very specific nba uh like not finals but the um playoff game between oakland and the and and the lakers and um, so it touches on these very specific things. It's clearly uh, it's clearly a time period that means a lot to Ryan Fleck because the, he grew up in Oakland. And um, so it's it's really obviously a kind of a personal story for him. But it's 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 very interesting. It's not scary at all. Um, the title is a weird one. <laughs> I don't quite get it. Um, it's a little bit cheeky it's it's very weird but it was like my kind of weird <laughs> and so i i really enjoyed that one and pedro pascal's hot <laughs> anyway that a lot of people were talking about it didn't fit into my schedule so i didn't get to see it but that was i would say if there was a talk festival it was freaky tales that mm-hmm. or love lives bleeding but i would say freaky tales more so yeah Jay Ellis is hot too in it, by the way, not just Pedro. But anyway, <laughs> those are the two that I wanted to make sure to mention. So, all right, what about you, Corlin? Are there any others that you wanted to to shout out? Yeah, since Karen mentioned two, I'll mention two. Um, so one of my favorites of the fest is called Will and Harper. It's documentary. It is also sold by Netflix. It does feel like that's a good place for it I'll be honest with you um so it's about two people one of which you've probably heard before Mr. Will Ferrell um and yeah Will Ferrell a documentary what uh it's directed by Josh Greenbaum who I don't know if you've heard of a little film excuse my accent um called Barbin Star Gorda Vista Del Mar 
Um, and Josh Greenbaum actually has a history of documentaries. He made one of my favorite documentaries called Too Funny to Fail about the history of the Dana Carvey show. Um, highly recommend that. And so he's stepping back into his um, documentary roots here with, with um, Will and Harper. And so I'm going to stop beating around the bush. 30 years ago, Will met someone um, uh, at SNL. They started at the same time as all of those great re SNL relationships do. Which uh, cannot possibly have been 30 years ago. I'm just saying. That's, <laughs> well, that's I fake. am almost 30. So uh, <laughs> they met very close to when I was born, uh, weirdly enough. Um, and he met this person um, who then, you know, will attributes his taking some of his the weirder roles of his career to um like uh casa di padre the house of my father the like the spanish western that he did he love that movie it's so strange <laughs> um there's some other really wonderfully weird ones that they mentioned at the beginning um this is somebody he considers a, a partner in both you know financial and work stuff but also in life like a really good friend um, and about two years ago, this person came forward and said, hey, I am trans. I am a trans woman and um, this is my life and I hope we can kind of still be friends. And um, the film follows, you know, the film starts as they're doing these like talking head interviews, talking about how this came about. And they read the email that Harper, who we meet, sent to uh, sent to Will. And both of them don't really know where their relationship stands. They kind of stand on shaky ground right now. And one thing that you need to know about Harper is Harper loves going to like the underbelly spots of America right? Where you might not necessarily find a trans person, right? We're talking CD bars and, you know, backyard racing and truck stops and like, you know, really like, ah, America kind of places. Um, and Will, knowing this, said, hey, do you want to take a cross-country road trip together as, you know, now that you're Harper? And they do. And, and we watch them go across the country and meet people along the way. And it's this very, very sweet documentary and road film um, about Will and Harper. Uh, what I loved is that there are a lot of little SNL cameos. Um, you know, you see, uh, well, obviously they stop at 30 Rock and they see Lorne Michaels and Tracy Morgan shows up and you see like Paula Pell and Colin Jost and Tim Meadows has a really funny moment and Seth Meyers is there. I'm sure this will be promoted on Seth Meyers, by the way, um, and Tina Fey. And then like they ride in a hot air balloon with Will Forte of all people. And then they get like um, they get Kristen Wiig to to like come up with the theme song of their road trip and like they get their nails done with Molly Shannon and it is such a funny movie. If you're a comedy person, it works really well. I love that, you know, it is kind of a comedy masterclass because you've got kind of a very, like, uh, the brain and the person who thinks a lot about comedy and how it works. And then you've got Will Ferrell in the car just kind of doing bits the entire time. But then you also have this really important moment about this idea of allyship comes up a lot and there are multiple moments where Will it was like, well, I wish I did that interaction differently or I wish I wish I stuck up 
here more. And, um, you know, throughout this trip, they're talking to people in middle America and there's backlash online for it. Um, Will accidentally takes a photo with a governor who uh, supports anti-trans legislation. Um, it's this really wonderfully done documentary and I think it's so smart. And it's one of those things that this is so funny, but it will also change lives. It's the kind of film that trans kids will watch with their, you know, NASCAR loving dad who also really loves old school and stepbrothers. Um, and and it'll it'll change perspective in life. It's a really, really important movie, I feel like. I think it's really well done. There's a really great song by Kristen Wiig, I think I mentioned, which if you need any more um incentive. It goes like Will and Harper go west, just two old friends in a new pair of breasts. <laughs> and um that sold me. I love this movie. I hope that um it has and I think Netflix is a really great and um accessible place for it. So uh it's that film I highly recommend. On the other hand, I also really recommend the film Ghost Light. Um that was picked up by IFC. Um, it is a narrative film. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw Alex Thompson and Kelly O'Sullivan's last work called um, St. Francis. That movie destroyed me. I love their work together. They are like true indie artists. Um, and Ghostlight is about an everyday construction worker who is working through a major tragedy and lawsuit in his own life. One day he gets really, really angry. A local um, actor sees his anger and says, hey, do you want to come join our production of Romeo and Juliet? And he does. Um, and it sort of follows how community theater can be very, very healing um, and can kind of also uh, mimic our own lives and tragedies. Um it's super well done. Dolly D. Lyon from Triangle of Sadness. Uh, she also has another film this year at Sundance um, is in it. And she's great. Uh, the father, his wife and his daughter are all played by a real family, which is really cool. Um, highly recommend Ghostlight. I don't think a lot of people saw it at Sundance, um, but uh it was a highlight for me it was very very moving you don't think that like a thing about community theater would be so um you know touching upon the relationships with with uh fathers and sons and so um highly recommend ghost light as well hey hey it sounds like there's honestly it sounds like there's a lot of really good films that, that are coming out of sundance at least definitely ones that we want to see yeah, I was uh, surprised going in, like preparing, looking at the schedule. There was so much that I was like, eh. and honestly, I think some of the titles aren't very good. Like the titles mm -hmm. of the movies, for example, a, a Real Pain, the Jesse Eisenberg film. It's like, that's, n I understand what they're going for with that, but it's just like, it's not a good title. <laughs> you <Karen>, know, <laughs> I disagree with you. The titles this year were great. How to have sex out of my mind. My old ass. Yes. Okay. Really, really, really <laughs> I just didn't one. see any of those. <laughs> I mean, that's always, it's always the problem with festivals, particularly big festivals, like, um, and particularly ones where you get a lot of independent films. So you're not getting like tons of films with really big names. You're also getting the small ones and the small ones are so often good, but you're like, okay, I've got hundreds. What do mm -hmm. I go see? And when do I go see it? I mean, 
Um, I've, I've been to Tribeca a number of years and Tribeca is very hit and miss. Uh, and there are some fantastic films and there's some terrible ones. Um, but it's one of those times where just like, I'm just going to go whatever fits into my schedule. And, and sometimes you see something really great, but it's hard to figure out exactly, oh, this is the film that, you know, I really want to see, or, and the, or this is the film that is just going to be absolute shit. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, it sounds like, sounds like a good festival. Um, uh, I did just want to shout out really quickly, quickly, the fact that I finally saw Boy, which premiered at the 2010 oh, Sundance wow. Film Festival. <laughs> That's right. We did talk the, about the, this. The Tekla TV film. <laughs> yes, I uh, love that movie. And it is it is a film that I've intended to see for a very long time, and I finally watched it. And um, and I thought about it for a week afterwards. So yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I didn't it realize. So I did. It's like I I it broke me honestly in so many different ways. Um and. Yeah, very a very very good film, and I hope that uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely see it. That was one critique I had this year was that you know the movie that broke me at Sundance last year was Fancy Dance. There wasn't a lot of indigenous film this year. I mm -hmm. think there was like one out of Australia, um, and then a few shorts, but there wasn't or wasn't a lot. Um, and I wish you know in the year that we could get our first indigenous winner in terms mm -hmm. of lily gladstone uh i was surprised that there there wasn't so mm -hmm. there was more um so yeah I agree. So, all right well i think that is that's going to close us out for this episode uh corlin thank you so much for joining us again and it was a lot of fun to hear about like your experience of sundance this time around um, so Cortland, where can, where can we find you on all of the various social medias, websites, so et cetera? I write for various people. Um, if you want to find me consistently on the internet, um, the best place to do that would be through punchdrunkcritics.com though. I do write for other people as well. Um, on Instagram, I am at four, like the number four, four Courtlandia with no U. And then on Twitter, I'm at Port Courtlandia. At some point, I should probably make them the same, but you know, we'll get there. <laughs> That's overrated. <laughs> we'll also we'll also put links to 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 uh, punch our critics and to your socials if if you would like us to do that. Um, so yes, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, we would like to thank our lovely patrons who, uh, are supporting this podcast, even though we've been gone for a couple of weeks because Karen has been at Sundance. Uh, <laughs> and those lovely patrons include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, you guys. And of course, if you want to join their number, um, we do have some fun stuff coming up. You can join them at patreon.com slash citizen dame. And we have an Etsy store now. Cool. I'm excited because <laughs> I actually buy stuff from Etsy. Um, that's etsy.com slash shop slash citizen dame pod. Uh, and of course you can go to our website, that's citizendamepod.com where we've got reviews, all of like Karen's reviews from the various films that she saw at Sundance are up there. I've got some editorials that are up there that have made me notorious apparently briefly on Twitter. 
Um, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, yes. But I I checked my Twitter account the other day. I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, so yeah, I had some things to say about our flag mean stuff. Uh, so you can go to our website, that's citizendamepod.com. And of course, if you want to join us and send us an email, uh, ask us any questions, anything you want to hear about, our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And of course, we are on the various socials. We're kind of on Twitter, I guess, still, um, at citizendamepod, but we are mostly on Instagram, at citizendamepod, and letterboxed, at citizendame. We are a letterboxed HQ, so you can get all of our articles, podcasts, etc. and see all of the wonderful lists that we have up there about the films that we talk about on this podcast and also some other things. Uh, so you can also get in touch with us individually. I am on the various socials at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am in all the places at Karen M. Peterson. See how easy that is? That sounds so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that will close us out for this week. Thank you again, Cortland. And we hope to have you back sometime. Uh, maybe to talk about not Sundance at some point, something else <laughs> other than Sundance. Um, Thank you for having me. would be happy to. Awesome. So we will talk to everybody later. Bye. You enjoying your pie? All pie is good pie. So, am I the right guy to eliminate your problem? Mm-hmm. This is good.